Welcome to the Second in Command podcast, produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. Dale Kahn has helped lead Alverno Clinical Laboratories with several firsts in the laboratory industry. In 2013, Siemens Healthcare Diagnostics, now Beckman, named Alverno as their Microbiology Innovation Center for the U.S. Alverno was the first laboratory in the U.S. to implement full microbiology automation and one of the first to routinely report clinical microbiology identifications utilizing the MALDI TOF system. In 2014, Alverno installed one of the first Beckman Power Express automation systems in the United States. Advanced Laboratory Magazine named Alverno as the Laboratory of the Year in 2016. In 2019, Alverno launched a digital pathology project and will be one of the largest providers of digital pathology for human tissue in the world. Today, Alverno is one of the larger hospital integrated laboratory networks in the country. Many throughout the country and even the world continue to visit Alverno to learn and apply the Alverno model of integrated laboratory services. So, Dale, welcome to the Second in Command podcast. Well, thank you for having me, Cameron. So, reading that bio, I have no idea what you guys do. I mean, I'm, I was never a science guy. I was always baffled by it. The words were too long for me. So can you throw it down into layman's terms for us, what Alverno is? You know, basically, so we're a clinical laboratory, uh, but we do it in an integrated fashion. Uh, and so if you ever go um, get a, a blood test drawn or your doctor orders um, some uh, urine analysis on you or maybe a culture or something like that, uh, that's what Alverno does, the te- testing for that. And a good portion of what we do is we call it technical testing and technical processing. And then some things also require uh, a professional or or a pathologist or doctor's interpretation. So we also do things like pap smears, uh, things like if you had a biopsy done um, or an organ taken out or something where we needed to process that and a doctor diagnose a cancer or things like that, that's all done in the clinical laboratory. So one thing that's different a little bit with Alverno um, back in the day when I first started in this career, uh, we were more hospital-based uh, back in those years. And so um, Alberno was really a pioneer in the integrated model. Um, we had a actually a pathologist that uh, back in uh, probably the late 80s into the 90s uh, thought about this integrated concept. So instead of having every single individual hospital laboratory uh, trying to have all this equipment and expertise, they integrated it into a single place where we could feed multiple hospitals into it. And that's how the whole concept got started. Interesting. So we actually, Alberno actually uh, opened our doors uh, Valentine's weekend uh, in 1999. Okay. And uh, started out back in that day servicing six hospitals. Uh, Part of our system, we were we were Holy Franciscan Alliance back in, in that day, so we started out with six hospitals, and it's grown over the years. So uh, we've had other facilities integrate in with us, uh, other owners. Uh, so at one point we had three owners, and then two of those owners merged together their hospital systems. So we're back to two owners now, uh, but we're up to servicing somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, 35. Uh, owned facilities where we not only bring that testing into the central lab here, we also manage all those hospital laboratories. 
Uh, and then we also service uh, about a half a dozen non-owned facilities where we do a portion of their laboratory service. Uh, so it's really that integrated model that has changed. And the big focus and the reason for that was cost savings, really, uh, that you could bring that together and have more expertise in-house. And so in a sense, we kind of looked at it like every one of those hospital labs, think of it, this was just in the next room over or in uh, or the downstairs. It, it, it was just an extension of those. So they all enjoyed all that technology and service uh, just like it was in their own place. And so that's kind of the model that we went after. So prior to Alverno or prior to this kind of integrated lab model, was all of the lab work being done just in all the hospitals then? Like if I was a, a patient, I'd have to go to the hospital, get my lab work versus just heading off to Alverno and get it done. And then they send it in. Yeah. Typically you went to the hospital, um, outpatient area. And so a lot of our hospitals back in that day had a lot more of the testing menus in the hospital. Today, we call them what we call a rapid response laboratory. So they do what's needed right away. Uh, but also back in that day, there was probably a lot more send outs that went to some of these national labs. So, it, you know, these samples could have been flown across the country to these national labs. And that's one of the beauties of the integrated model. We can bring more and more of that esoteric type testing in-house versus mm -hmm. having to send it across the country. Interesting which, you know, saves on cost, saves on turnaround time, uh, back to the doctor to service the patients faster and better. And so it's allowed us to do that as well. And who pays, who pays for your services? Is it insurance pay? Is it copay? Is it uh, hospitals paying? Well, we have a couple of different models with that. So um, we service hospital work. So any of that the work that funds us through those hospitals, it comes here. Uh, with that and there are our owners, it's really uh, a cost model back to them. So because there are our owners, we charge the hospitals back uh, for that testing at cost. Uh, and then uh, obviously they're billing a DRG or uh, an insurance company, depending on if it was an inpatient stay or if it was an outpatient visit, they're doing the billing to the insurances from that. But we also have a, a pretty large outreach program. We probably service over 3,000 independent physician offices as well. And so with that work, coming in primarily it's third-party billing so we'll build the insurance companies uh, to make the money from that there are some clients um, that we client bill them and then they'll turn around and bill insurance companies uh, some of these hospitals that we uh, do some of the work for will client bill them and then they'll turn around and bill insurance companies as well that way Interesting. Funny, when we were talking just before we went live and by our, when we were building 1-800-GOT-JUNK, our landlord was the founder and CEO of a group called MDS Labs up in Canada. I don't know if that okay. would be a, is that a similar group to what you guys do? I think that's a group that maybe we even visited with us. Um, you know, in Canada, the, the healthcare is a little bit different. Um, when they came and visited here, they said they have the same constraints, though, even though it's a more socializer, if that's what you want to call it. But um, they said, we still have to save costs. Yeah. So uh, they were doing more and more where they wanted to do the integrated model as well. And so we're seeing more and more of that uh, in Canada. We, we have visitors uh, from the UK, that very similar model to Canada, but they wanted to save costs and um, they were looking at that same model. So Interesting. And from around the world, looking at that Alberno model of that integrated. And so how you've got we, 30, 35 owned locations, you said. How many total employees does Alberno have? We're uh, in around the 2100 range. Okay. Uh, from employees, uh, you know, here at the central lab, it's um, between the central lab and our outreach program, uh, which the outreach would be 
all of our patient service centers where you could go to get your blood drawn, or we call it sometimes in-office phlebotomy. So we might have a doctor's office where we put one of our phlebotomists actually in their office. We, we probably have um, 60 to 70 of those locations, and then the central lab, and then all those hospital labs. So um, I think in the outreach side in the central lab, we're probably you know in the 600 range uh, for FTEs, and then the rest are distributed among all those hospital laboratories. Got it. Makes sense. So when when you're growing, then to for you to continue to scale, is it um, through acquisitions? Are you opening more locations? Is it just getting deeper into the the hospital business? How do you grow the business? Early on, um, it was really searching out other partners that wanted to join us. So remember, I said that we started with the six hospitals, and that was with Franciscan uh, Alliance. They were called Sisters of St. Francis back in that day. They actually had, at that day, 12 hospitals. And when we started, we serviced six of their 12. So really, the the growth uh, was really uh, system acquisition, or actually they um, joined in as a partner. So we had another healthcare system in Illinois that had six hospitals that joined in. Uh, And then at that same time, we picked up the other six Franciscan hospitals. So we grew to 18. Uh, And then another healthcare system brought in eight hospitals. And uh, so it's really been uh, these healthcare systems uh, has been the biggest growth from the hospital side. The outreach market, uh, you know, we've built our team over time. We've grown those positions. I think, uh, you know, uh, back in the earlier days, maybe we were servicing a thousand physician offices, uh, and now today it's over three thousand. But one of the things we're seeing more and more in that area is that these hospital systems are employing these physicians, and so more and more we're seeing our market is employed uh, practices. And so if the hospital employs a physician, guess what? They're automatically an Alberno customer uh, because they're part of us. Uh, so that helps bring that in. So we're really um, we're still marketing to non-owned places, but I think over the next five years or so, you're going to see all that gone because a lot of these are going to be part of systems. And so it will be harder to grow that way. So our other big focus right now is other systems. So uh, we're always talking to um, this five system, uh, five hospital system over here, or this six, six hospital system over there. And so that's what we're looking for. Our future growth is that. You know, one of the things that we're looking for a big growth spurt as well, our two systems are Franciscan Health and Amita Health. So Amita Health, though, uh, is owned by the bigger Ascension Health, which Ascension Health is the largest Catholic healthcare system in the U.S. I think they have about 150 hospitals mm. uh, scattered a uh, variety of distances in, in the U.S. So one advantage for us there, we're connected to them now. And so actually Ascension Health, one of the things we're working on for a program with them is a precision medicine program is what we call it. And we're, we're starting it more in the oncology area. And so Ascension actually has a central laboratory like us in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Okay. Um, but they don't have next generation sequencing technology and a precision uh, medicine program yet. And we have that. Um, we're kind of in the early stages, but we have it. And so we've, we've met with them, and the plan is that they're going to, they named Alberno as their precision medicine uh, program uh, for all of Ascension, hopefully, is what we're hoping for. What we're doing right now, we're, we're starting a project with their group in Wisconsin. And if that goes successfully, then we're hoping to branch out. So that, that will be another area, uh, just because of that connection from one of our owners uh, to help us grow. 
we've grown um, at a rate of about 20% per year over the last 10 to 15 years. And so it's really been a phenomenal growth and um, phenomenal ride uh, going on with, with all this work. Yeah, it's pretty solid growth for, for a company of that size, for sure. How have you been impacted with the whole um, COVID that we've been in? You know, we're, we're kind of a, at about the six-month mark. We're, we're recording this in uh, September of 2000. So how, how have you guys had to adapt and um, work, work through that? Yeah, that was a huge change uh, for us this year. So when COVID first hit, um, kind of our first priority for us was uh, getting testing for all of our uh, owned hospitals. So back in that early day, it was hard to find a vendor that could commit uh, to supplying you, uh, supplying all the the reagents that you needed. Uh, And that was our big focus. So we actually, uh, back in that March timeframe, we brought in, uh, let's see, it was six new analyzers uh, just to do COVID testing. Uh, Three of the analyzers were an Abbott Alinity M analyzer. And at the time they had seven of those analyzers in the whole world, and we had three of those seven. Uh, at Alberno. Uh, and I think we feel fortunate with that partnership with Abbott because they did a really good job to uh, sustain us with the reagent supplies to be able to run all this stuff. Uh, and we brought in two other analyzers. So that was a big, big project, if you can imagine bringing these in and having to validate them and getting them up to uh, speed as fast as we could. Uh, and it really helped out our systems tremendously. Um, over these last six months, we've had so many compliments from the system that we really helped keep them in operation, uh, keep them going on by having that COVID testing. I think in the early days when we were getting samples, we didn't have the testing lab yet, so we were sending it to the national labs. And we started seeing almost immediately they got overwhelmed because the whole country was doing the same thing. Right. Uh, and they started seeing, or we, we started seeing turnaround times from them of up to two weeks uh, to get a result back. Uh, and so we launched as quick as we could. Uh, and, you know, we were probably doing a 24 to 48 hour turnaround time. And, and that still holds today. We're probably seeing an average turnaround time of 24 hours uh, on this high sensitive PCR test. We also launched uh, rapid tests in all of our hospital rapid response labs as well. So that was a big project, uh, if you can imagine, to do that. And word started spreading real quickly. Uh, throughout the country of the turnaround time that we were doing. So we started getting calls. Uh, we actually did testing for uh, South Dakota, for Oklahoma, for mm-hmm. Minnesota, uh, for down in the Atlanta area. We started getting calls from all over the country. We did a lot of testing for Michigan um, just to help out uh, with this crisis. And so it was rewarding for the team that they felt they were helping so many throughout the country. That was a big part initially. Um, the other big thing that changed our volumes tanked um, back in that March, April time frame. Right. Sure. Because none of the hospitals were doing surgeries. People weren't going to a doctor's office. Um, and one of the good things that we did, uh, we, we really uh, tried to get all of our staff to take vacation time uh, and we re- reduced hours, but we didn't lay anybody off. Nobody got furloughed. Uh, we had some teams that we started having uh, to work from home which was a change. And some of the teams are still working a little bit from home. Uh, but that was a big change to manage that. Uh, and so that went well. The hard part was the volumes came back faster than we predicted. <laughs> oh, yeah, we were expecting it to slowly come back and probably um, 
by the July timeframe, our volumes were not only back, they were higher than what they were before. They were higher than what we predicted. And usually July is one of our quietest months. And this year it wasn't. Uh, and so uh, those volumes came back and then we started struggling um, with that until we could get that stabilized with all the volume coming in. So it's been an interesting year for us. And it's still not over. It's still going. You know, now we're seeing more and more where uh, they're trying to make decisions. Are they going to do mass testing and mass screens? You know, these nurse home patients, um, the assisted living places, all these colleges and universities. There's a lot of discussions going on what we're going to do with all that. It's interesting. What, now, what about on the operational side? You said you did have to start doing some work from home. How did that go in terms of the work from home component? Well, primarily, it was certain, just certain individuals. Obviously, the lab staff that, uh, in operations that were running the tests had to be here. Uh, so the people that uh, we had work from home, more of our sales and marketing, which they traditionally always work from home anyway. Uh, so okay. they continued. Uh, we had some of our quality teams uh, doing some work from home um, because they weren't allowed to go into the hospitals uh, for some of the Kaizen events or some of the KPI work or, that they were doing. Uh, so they did some work from home. Uh, we also had our IT group. A lot of the IT staff started working from home. In fact, our IT staff is still uh, doing some work from home. That actually ended up being a little advantage to us um, because of all the growth that we have. We're actually uh, filling up our space. And so we're, we have um, our whole space is about 50,000 square feet and probably 35,000 of that is lab space. 15,000 was more we'll call it the carpeted space, the administrative functions. So we're in the process of tearing down walls and moving the lab into the administrative space. And we rented an offsite place that we're moving the IT group to. And so it worked out real nice. Well, they're working from home, so we can just take over their space here and then we'll build their space in the, the new rented place when we get time. But in the meantime, they can continue to work from home. So that was almost an advantage. It's interesting. Was um, did you were there any any setbacks at all from the work from home, or did it go reasonably smoothly then? I think it went fairly smoothly. Um, you know, we've all had to ad adapt to these virtual uh, things like we're doing right now. Um, you know, we we implemented Microsoft Teams here as a corporation. Everybody had to get used to that and and doing with that. It's still hard to judge whether the team is as productive at home. And that, you know, it's interesting. Uh, one set of teams over here will say, well, we think we're more productive from home because we don't have any of the interruptions. The other team, you just wonder, uh, in some of the metrics we're trying to calculate, are they really as productive from home? But it's going fairly smoothly. I think um, some of the challenges before I could pick up the phone and call them in their office, and now I had to figure out, okay, what's their cell phone number to call them uh, unless we use the chat or something on Teams. Uh, so it's been a little bit of a challenge there, but everybody's getting used to it more and more now. Interesting. Um, so in terms of your growth in the organization, were you always in the medical space when you came in as a second in command? Yeah, I started out as, as a lab tech um, back, um, you know, 40 plus years ago uh, and kind of went through that area. Uh, you know, I've always had an interest in the IT areas, so I don't do so much with the lab information system per se, but I do a lot of things with the uh, programs or things to make the operations more efficient and more productive. Um, you know, a lot of things with uh, the big data and data mining and, and dashboarding and, and helping our um, executive team look at metrics and figure out are we heading in the right direction and, 
and where do we need to go? So that's always been kind of an interest of mine. So it's kind of done that all along as well. But just moved through the different areas. Uh, started out as a tech from, you know, to a supervisor, to a manager, to the director of operations. And, and now my title is actually VP of operations. We have a very small executive team here. There's only four of us on the team. So we have our CEO uh, and myself, VP of operations, and we have a vice president of finance and then our CFO or, or vice president of finance. So it's a small team. Uh, I think when I first came into this role, almost everybody was reporting to the CEO. Wow. And, you know, I think it, back at that time, uh, he needed to relieve some stuff on his plate uh, so that he could start uh, doing some of these other things like the strategic planning, um, you know, working with um, vendors as business partners and developing those relationships, um, you know, doing more of the sales and marketing growth. Uh, so he wanted to focus more on that area and, and not have to worry about operations as much. And so I think that uh, allowed me to move into this role and create this role. Because when I moved into the role, it didn't exist. Was he the founding, like, was he a founding CEO, founding partner? Um, you know, Sam, our CEO, he came into the organization oh, probably six years into its existence. Um, so um, he came in when we merged with um, the second owner um, back in that day. And, and when he first came in, he didn't come in in the CEO role. He was in a vice president, a uh, different role. But at the time, we had what we called a vice president of hospitals. So he did a lot of the work going to all the hospitals and integrating them in. Uh, so we've actually, he's actually the third CEO of the company. Uh, so the one guy uh, started, and then when we merged with the two uh, systems merged, there was two CEOs uh, from that. So uh, the other one got selected, and then Sam is the third one that we've had. And how have you been able to keep the leadership team so lean? How have you been able to push back with people that you know want to be on it or dealing with the politics of people needing to be on it? Well, that, that's a good question. I mean, we, we have good teams below that as well um, that handle a lot of the operations. So we have um, what we call regional directors over the different hospital system laboratories. Uh, and they report up into the executive team uh, and then just the teams here. Um, so it's been successful that way, just um, letting people do their job and not necessarily micromanaging everything that they do and having the faith that um, they're going to do and report back the, the results that you want to see. So I think that's a good part of it, how you can stay so lean at that level by trusting the people uh, in those other positions. You talked about about measuring and, and trying to measure some of the productivity now that you're doing the work from home. What is it you're looking at in terms of productivity for that? How are you trying to measure some of the different roles that you've got people in in the work from home space? That's a tough one. Um, you know, in the laboratory, you know, I can easily measure how many tests that somebody runs, things like that. But, um, you know, when you start getting into some of the areas like IT, uh, you know, they have daily duties that they do. Uh, but it's harder to measure, you know, what am I building? How many clients did I build? How many doctors did I build in the system? Uh, how many interface issues did I take care of? So that's a harder one to measure um, with that. Um, you know, we have daily things that need to be accomplished. And so a lot of it is maybe not measuring what they did, but that task that it get accomplished that day is more the way we're looking at it right now. And what, what about in terms of your role? How are you continuing to, to grow as a, as a COO or do you work on your skills? I think the big thing for me, you know, I'm so tied into the operations and, you know, the challenge 
with that is you, you can see the tremendous growth that we've had in all these major projects. You know, we were first in automation for microbiology automation. We're going to be the largest in the world for uh, digital path for human tissue. And just leading all these huge projects ties up a lot of the time. Um, you know, even though I got a, a great teams that do a lot of that work. But I think one of my areas that I, I need to work towards and focus is more the strategic side. And, and the CEO will even comment that to me, you know, let the team uh, do the operational pieces more, um, make sure they're taking care of that and start focusing more on the strategic side and where we're going for the future. I think one of the other things that we're trying to do, you know, Sam's getting up in that age for retirement and so am I. Um, so, you know, in the next five years or so, what is the company going to do? And so we're trying to uh, work on that right now as well and figure out how we can do succession planning and make sure that uh, somebody is uh, ready to step into these roles and uh, continue the company. And, and there's several other positions. You know, probably our VP of Finance is in the same boat as we are um, and, and the HR guy. And so it could be a big change in the next five years. So that's a lot of the focus right now. What's the ownership of the company? So right now, like I said, we have the two healthcare systems that own us. So we have Franciscan Health, uh, which is primarily based out of Indiana. They Most of their hospitals are Indiana. They have one in Illinois. Uh, and then we have Amita Health is the second owner. Remember I told you we had three owners at one time. So it was um, Franciscan, well, in the beginning, Franciscan owned 100%. And then when the second one came in, it was 50-50. The third one came in, it was a third, a third, and a third. But now those other two systems joined together. So they actually own two-thirds of us, and Franciscan owns one-third, even though Franciscan was the founder. Uh, but uh, one of the things they did from a control standpoint, though, they were real smart in um, their formation documents. Each system has an equal vote um, in decision-making. And so even though it's a two-thirds owner and one-third owner from a decision standpoint, each system has one vote. So you guys are are running as employees of the organization then. So there's no there's no desire to build to sell at this point. You're building just to, to bit, continue to build a good company. That's the strategy. Um, you know, of course, our our owners uh, could always say we we want to sell it. Um, I'm sure that could could be a possibility. But um, you know, I'm at this point. I think they see the value uh, and that we're cutting down. And over the years, we've saved them millions in costs. Um, from laboratory costs of what they would have had at their own places. So I, I think they see value, especially the COVID times. They see a savior in what we've done. Uh, so that was a real plus. And uh, so I think it'll stay status quo for a while. Now talk about the succession planning. So how do you start to, and, and are you guys starting to think about that and do that then right now? Yeah, that's really a topic on our plate right now that we've just started uh, to take a look at and what we're going to do. Uh, and it's not only the leadership here in the laboratory, um, we're also looking at succession planning for our pathology group that is our primary group here at the central lab. You know, the, the president and um, second in command for that group as well are getting in the same boat. Um, and so we've been talking with them as well. What's their future? How are we going to plan? So there's a lot of areas right now we're looking at succession planning. What's... Um... What do you think you look for in terms of emerging leaders in the organization? How do you find the emerging leaders? You know, for many years, Alberno actually had what we called emerging leaders program. Uh, I, I don't know that it was necessarily geared for 
the top executive level, but we did a lot for the supervisor, manager, director level um, where people could apply uh, for our program. And we uh, took them through a variety of curriculum uh, on different topics from operations to finance uh, to HR topics and tried to groom them uh, so that they could take some of those positions. And a lot of the people that went through that program did get some of those higher positions in the company. Um, so we haven't necessarily taken that to the next level um, to replace the executive team. What do you look for though when you're when you're seeing somebody? Is there something that you look for that you identify or that you go, yeah, that's like that's somebody right there? I, I think a lot is not only what do they do in their job, but what do they do above and beyond their job? You know, when we when we see the individuals that this individual over here is always stepping up and doing these other items are the people that I want to look for uh, and that the group wants to look for. You know, you want the individuals that come to you and say, I'm updating you on what's going on versus the other way around, you having to ask, uh, where are you at with this or where are you at with that? And so those are some of the types of people um, that we've seen that aspire to move on. And I think those are the people that have moved on in the company and moved up. Um, and like I said, we're that big organization. Unfortunately, we've had a couple of the real excellent ones here at the Central Lab that moved up into one of those positions at one of our hospital sites. So, you know, it's always sad to see them leave uh, from the home base, uh, but you can't blame them or it's uh, rewarding and encouraging to see them grow and move into some of those other positions, even if it's not at the home base. It's kind of like raising our kids, right? Our job is to, yeah. to, to grow them so they leave the house. It's kind of sad to see them go, but it's also fairly fulfilling to see them go, right? Right. That, absolutely. Yeah. Um, in terms of the, um, the leadership team itself, I mean, over the last five, six years that you've been there in your role, I'm sure you, you've had, you know, conflict and frustrations with other members of the leadership team. How do you deal with, with conflict and at that level? For, for me, I think a lot of it is um, being honest with each other uh, and being open with each other. And I, I think the group is, so we have an excellent relationship. I think Sam's been one of the, the best bosses that I've had. Um, you know, Sam and I, I uh, have actually traveled the world together. Uh, so we've, we've got the opportunity to go to different countries and, and give talks about some of the things that we're doing in the overall model or some of the automation that we brought in. And so that's been really rewarding uh, from that as well. And so I think that's a, a big part of it. I think a big part of it is for me, anticipating what does the CEO want. And so I think that's a, a key to success in any leader is that you don't have to wait for the boss to ask you um, what to deliver, you anticipate that ahead of time. And so when you go in to meet, you've already anticipated the questions that are gonna be asked or the information that's wanted and you already have that. And so I think a good one is one that can really have that uh, foresight and the anticipation of, of what's gonna be requested. And, and that helps the relationship too, um, because you're, you're prepared. Makes sense. Now, as an organization scales, I mean, as it gets to the size that you're at, you know, politics inevitably starts to, to creep in. Do you notice much politics inside of the organization and how do you deal with it when you're seeing it? You know, within the Alberta organization, I don't see much of that. You know, we're, we're a really good group. Um, you know, the, the laboratory has really led our system, our hospital systems almost in how to do this integration how to be standard. Um, we've done so much to standardize equipment and procedures and policies and uh, even reference ranges at all the places so the doctor sees the same 
uh, thing no matter where these patients go. So that's been really strong. I think the politics have been more with the systems and uh, what's needed. Uh, it's always politics when you first take on a system and because you can't blame systems had laboratories and they had laboratory people at their own places and they were all excellent people and did great jobs, but, but it's change. And yeah. you know, that change is always hard. And especially when um, a lot of times they see, well, my testing is right here in this building and now it's going to drive down the road to another place. There's always that um, anticipation of what's going to happen. It's going to go into the black hole over there. And so that's been a lot of the politics and uh, helping settle that down. I remember we had a project well, probably five years ago or so. We did a, a blood culture project where we used to have our blood culture cabinets in all the hospital sites. Uh, and back at that day, uh, just the technology, I'll give you a little example. So technology, when a blood culture bottle would turn positive, the machine would flag it as positive. We'd have to uh, ID what's the bacteria uh, so that the doctor would know how to treat. And back in that day, that process took about 48 to 50 hours from uh, model positive to first ID because you had to subculture the plate, wait for the growth on agar plate, and then you had to put it on a machine and get an ID. So we told all the doctors, we're going to integrate this uh, blood culture technology here to the central lab. And primarily it was because we had that new Maldi-Toff technology that you read in the bio. And with that technology, uh, it allowed us uh, to take that same bottle positive and get to that ID in about two and a half hours versus 48 to 50 hours. But it was interesting in the politics, all these ID docs, they didn't know that because it was new technology. And sure. they were calling us and saying, you guys can't do that. You're not only going to harm our patients, you're going to kill our patients is what they told us. And it was interesting, probably three weeks after we did it, those same ID docs were calling us saying, you can't imagine the positive impact that Alberno has made on our patients. We're getting the ID so much faster. We're treating them faster. They're getting out of the ICU faster. We're seeing them get better faster. Thanks for doing that. So you got to play the politics uh, until you can show the good outcome. It's interesting. Play the politics until, until the results actually prove the point. That's interesting. Right. All right, Dale, last question. If you were to go back to your 21-year-old self, you know, you're kind of leaving college, getting ready to go out into the world. What advice would you give yourself back then that you know to be true today? Oh, that's a tough one. You know, it's interesting with, with the technology. Back in my day in college, um, we didn't have the computers and the internet and all that stuff. Um, and that's a love of mine is that technology. And I, I like to do those kind of things. Um, you know, I've done some programming. I actually ran a side business uh, for many years, almost 25 years, uh, timing running races. Uh, so I actually wrote my own software and set up my own business. Uh, and we timed running races like 5K races, 10K races, things like that for years. So I don't know if I would tell myself back then to go a different pathway. <laughs> would I go into the laboratory field or not? Or would I go into the, the IT space? Uh, that's a tough thing to say. I've really enjoyed the career and the path that I've taken. Uh, and I've been given so many opportunities. Like I said, the, the ability to travel the world uh, has been really great with this company. So I don't know if I'd change that uh, path at all, but it, it's interesting. Would, would I stay with the healthcare and the laboratory path or not? Uh -huh. It's hard to say if I could 
look into the future and see where it was going to go. Yeah, it's been interesting to watch. I never would have anticipated the computer industry to go where it, where it went. I remember when the first Apple II came out and I desperately wanted to buy one and I wish I was buying Apple stock back then as well. Oh yeah, you and me both. <laughs> yeah. Dale Kahn, the VP of Operations for Alverno. Thanks very much for sharing with us today on the Second in Command podcast. Really appreciate the time. You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder, Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe to us on Himalaya for access to our premium content. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.